Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. All right. Hey, everybody. Really excited. Another great podcast we've got coming up today. I've got some really excited things to talk about in the main segment as well as the listener questions. Got quite a few of those lined up this week, so I'm excited to answer those. But first, a little bit of news. It's just a short segment, so I'm not going to play the uh, cheesy news music. But um, in lighting news, there's a new app that I found out about this past week that I thought I'd share with you. I, uh, I actually read the uh, press release here from, uh, what was it from? From Lighting and Sound America, the uh, trade magazine there. Look that up or check it out in the show notes if you're not familiar with that and you want a subscription to it. It's a great uh, free resource if you're in the industry. And uh, it's called Shadow Magic. And and so what this app is, is it's for um, iOS, I believe, iOS only, and it's $15. And what it is, is it's a visualizer for the theater. And so this doesn't just apply to the theater, because if you've been looking for just a way to play with light, like we were talking about on a podcast a few episodes ago where I was with Crystal and James from Entech, we were talking about grabbing flashlights and pointing lights at people and and stuff like that, and using a gel book, and and that's great. But this brings it into a digital world where you can have some more lights, and you can use this app on iOS, set up some different lights, shine them on some people, and just see how it looks, see how the light affects things, see how shadows fall, see how a human looks, etc. And so I thought it'd be interesting to point out just if that's something you're interested in, you know, it's not a a true visualizer in the sense that it can't take DMX input and, and visualize something live, but for $15, if you know you want to play around with lighting and be able to move things around and have a whole stage where you can set up different lights and just see how they look, for $15, it, you know, can't be beat, right? So with that, guys, I also want to mention, um, if you're new here, kind of jumping around doing things out of order here, but if you're new here um, and you're not familiar with Learn Stage Lighting, you just caught the podcast, I'd like you to go to learnstagelighting.com slash quiz because there I'm going to give you a free guide to, to begin with lighting. So whether you're brand new to lighting or maybe you've worked with lighting a bit, but you're not sure exactly what to do, I want to get this guide in your hands. And uh, the reason it's at learnstagelighting.com slash quiz is because I just ask you two quick questions so I can send you a guide that's personalized to the exact type of lighting you do. So if you do band lighting, church lighting, DJ lighting, etc., I want to get that perfect guide into your hands. All right. Thank you all so much for listening as well. I just got to say that I'm overwhelmed every week by the amount of people that are listening. And uh, I'm really excited for today's main segment. If this is exciting to you, share it with a friend, because today we're going to talk about some of the intricacies, some of the things you need to know when you program moving lights. So let's dive in. When it comes to moving lights, it's really Moving lights are really cool, and they're really an area of this business and of working with lighting that has reached a lot more people in recent years. So I'm not trying to sound like an old fart here, but because I'm not. But when I did, when I first started in lighting, moving lights were not the norm. They were the exception. A typical show that I do would have some basic uh, bunch of park hands, maybe some LEDs. Those were just starting to come out. And definitely not moving lights because moving lights were expensive, they were big, and they took a lot of power. And there's nothing wrong with that. But today, the because of the LED mostly, 
we're able to have so many different options in moving lights now. In fact, you can go to somebody like American DJ or Chave or Blizzard, and for just a few hundred dollars, you can get a small little moving light that can do some some basic things. You know, you're not going to change the world or have the brightest thing for, for a few hundred dollars, but the fact is entry-level moving lights have come a long way. They they really didn't even exist back when I started, and, uh, you know, even as, as I've grown and, and, and through the years as I've watched moving lights get more and more popular, you know, first the, the entry-level companies put out some moving lights that were really terrible and, and also not that inexpensive, but now with LEDs and, and with them putting the years behind it, um, there's there's a lot of great options in, in every price range as to different lights that you can buy. And so the the point that I'm trying to make is is not just that I'm rambling on, but the fact is moving lights when I first started were the exception, not the norm. Now they're the norm. Now there's something that whether you're a DJ, a, working with a band, working in a church, it's likely that even if you don't have access to it now, at some point, you're going to have access to moving lights and be able to program them. And you know what I learned about moving lights? The first thing that I learned about them is they can be really frustrating to program. Okay, let's let's get real here. When I first got into moving lights and started working with them, I was excited as I'll get up. I wanted to play with the cool moving lights, and, and everybody does. But with great power comes great responsibility, as the quote goes, and that applies to moving lights in the sense that with great power, with great features, with all these options of things you can do, it also takes longer to program. There's also more to wrap your head around as to what you can do, and it can be harder to get something that looks good. It takes some more work, a little bit more effort. And so I just want to talk today about some of the things over the years that I've learned about moving lights, some of the things that I was taught by my mentors, some things that I learned the hard way on my own, and, and things I've picked up here and there so that if you're new to moving lights or maybe you've worked with moving lights some or maybe you've worked with moving lights a lot, but I just want to give you some of my top tips here for working with moving lights so that next time you sit down to work with a moving light in a lighting console, it's easier for you and it's more natural and, and things go better than they ever have before. So the, the first quick tip that I want to cover is um, if you are working with arc lamp moving lights, non-LED fixtures often have an arc lamp. There's something called striking and dowsing. And so this might be unfamiliar to you if you're new to this world. And certainly if you're buying new moving lights, there's a good chance today that you're going to buy something that's got an LED in it. But there's still a small chance that you might buy something that uh, has an arc lamp in it, especially if it's a beam light. And when you're working with an arc lamp or a discharge lamp, as they're sometimes called, you need to strike them and douse them in order to take care of your lights. And so what does that mean? Well, it's simply just turning the lamp on and off because unlike an LED or unlike a conventional light, when you close, when you turn off the light and close the shutter inside of a moving light, most of the time, it's actually a mechanical shutter. And that lamp stays on all the time that the fixture is running. And at the start of the day and the end of the day, you strike and then douse the lamp to turn it on and off. And so I had somebody ask this just the other day, which is why 
I'm going into detail here because they said, what is this function in my console and how do I use it? Well, it's it's for those types of moving lights, either older or, or bigger moving lights, because still, even though LEDs have taken over a lot of this industry, some of the bigger moving lights, if you need something that's really bright or you need something with a really tight beam, it's still going to be a discharge lamp a lot of the time. And so that, that'll probably change over time. But but right now that's the case. And so striking and dowsing is, is simply turning that lamp on and off. But it's something that you should be doing manually. Um, every fixture's got different options, just to kind of riff on that for a minute. And you can set them to auto strike when you turn them on so that you only have to douse the lamp. But I really don't like to do that simply because then when you're setting up a show or something, you put a couple extra hours on them every time. And that's going to be big money because these lamps can be expensive. So um, when, when you do actually start programming, um, you've got the lamps turned on if, if that's applicable or if they're just LEDs, you don't have to worry about that. When you're moving the light, the first thing you want to do is turn it on. Okay, so you can see where the light's pointing. Then you want to make sure you grab tilt first, okay? And this is really important because most consoles, you know, the, the way the frame of reference goes, the way you say it is pan tilt. You know, you refer to the function of the moving light moving as, as pan tilt. That's how manufacturers refer to it. That's how consoles refer to it. That's how I refer to it usually. But if you pan first, you can get your lights pointed in all kinds of funky directions by the time you tilt. Whereas if you tilt first, you're then turning the pan and you're actually seeing what's going on instead of having that light just spin around and do nothing. And, and the reason that is is because most uh, sensible consoles, as, as I say, most professional style consoles, start your fixture actually in the middle of its pan and tilt range because that way, when you start programming, it defaults to 50% of its pan range and 50% of its tilt range so that you're able to either move backwards or forwards to move in the direction you want to go. You're not up against a wall where, where you can't tilt anymore or you can't pan anymore. So when you're at that 50-50 position, you always want to tilt first every time. Get that in your head. Even though the pan knob's first, usually on the console, tilt first so that you can see which way the light's actually pointed. And then from there, you can pan the light or turn it. You also, thinking about defaulting the fixture to 50-50, if you're lighting really any kind of show and you want to change that position, a lot of consoles, including MPC, which is getting renamed soon, including Hogs, I know, um, Grand May, I think you can do it as well, you're able to change where the fixtures default to. And this can be kind of handy just in the sense that you can have a position where they just kind of all point at the stage generically so that... If you wipe out all your position information from your console, if you release everything, whatever, the lights are going to point somewhere sensible so that when you bring them up, they'll, they'll be there. And so that's something to look into with your console as well. Now, when you're pointing moving lights, just like pointing any other type of light, you're going to be sitting at your console instead of on the stage. And so you want to make sure when you're in the part where you're pointing the moving lights that you are center on the stage because being off to one side or another skews your perspective and all of a sudden what you thought you were pointing as symmetrical with your moving lights <laughs> it's not symmetrical and you get on center and you realize oh that doesn't look very good and so 
while you don't have to run your lights from center, from out front and center, because oftentimes, let's face it, the circumstances that we find ourselves in don't allow us to do that. You do want to take your console out and focus them and point the lights from the center so that everything matches up, so that everything's symmetrical. And then you can run your lights from wherever you want. And so there, there can often be a couple ways to do this, depending on your exact control situation. You might be able to use a wireless signal to connect a computer um, to your console, maybe a secondary console. Maybe you use a remote type app like TouchOSC to wirelessly be able to focus those lights. Maybe your console has a remote app um, that you're able to use there. There can be a lot of options. And, and while we're thinking about pointing our moving lights, say you've got eight moving lights on the back of your stage, okay? That's a, a pretty healthy number, good number to have. Maybe you've only got four, it doesn't matter. But you want to use the groups and fanning functions to keep things symmetrical as you're setting the position of your lights, okay? So anytime you're going to set a position for your moving lights, whether you're making X's in the air, whether you're crossing the stage, whether you're doing a big fan, if you go ahead and you move every light individually, you may be able to get it perfectly symmetrical, okay? You, you, you might be able to get there, but it's going to take a long time and it's going to be hard to get it just right when you move each light individually. However, when you use your console's fanning and, and groups and grouping tools or whatever your console may call those different functions to be able to select things and grab different selections, then... Um, then you're able to go ahead and keep things symmetrical because the console will move, say, opposite pairs of lights in opposite directions so that you're able to move all your lights together at the same amounts and keep things really symmetrical. Of course, this is going to depend on whether you hung them symmetrically or not. And so you always want to hang or set your lights out in a way that's symmetrical. Don't, don't be afraid to get out a measuring tape to do this because it's going to pay off big time when you go to program. And when you do thinking of symmetry, um, you know, it, it's great to use symmetrical looks with our moving lights, but sometimes people need a break. Sometimes the audience needs a break and they may or may not realize it, but it, it's a good idea as well to do some non-symmetrical positions as well. So while most of the time you're probably going to program things that are, are quite symmetrical, there's definitely going to be times where you're going to want to go ahead and and make some things that are purposefully not symmetrical, okay? And so now at this point, we've, we've talked about movement a good bit. We've kind of beat that to a pulp a bit. And But moving lights don't just move, right? They do other things too. And you can also go ahead and have moving lights that change colors, that mix colors, that change gobos. And so... Anytime that you're working with another parameter, like colors, like gobos, like um, frost, like prisms, you always want to, unless the music has a moment that calls for it, you always want to be smooth when you transition between different things. And so, say you want to bring in a gobo, but it's a slower song. You can always bring a gobo in on a fast song at the beat of the music. You know, you know, when it hits the end of a measure or it hits a transition from a verse to a chorus or something like that, you can pop that gobo in with no time, just instant pop, you know, bring that in and it's going to look natural. It's going to fit the music. But during slower times or if you're mid verse or if you're in between songs, that doesn't look great. It, it can look a little awkward. And so 
How do you change a GOO? How do you change a fixed color? How do you make that happen without compromising the feel on stage? Well, the easiest way to do this, generally when you're working with moving lights, is that you're going to want to turn the light off, make that change, and then turn it on. So at the end of a song, maybe you bring out the lights that aren't key, you know, that aren't important, you know, maybe all the backlights or whatever, all the moving lights. You can take those off for the in-between song, change what you want to change for the next song, and then when you bring them up, they'll be in that new color, they'll be in that new pattern, etc. With gobos, a lot of fixtures, if they have multiple gobo wheels, meaning they've got, you know, a gobo wheel one that's got some gobos on it and a gobo wheel two that has some gobos on it, you can actually do something that's a little bit advanced called gobo morph. And that is that if you have gobo one, say you have go something on gobo wheel one that's in focus, you can often, and this, this really varies light to light to how well it works, but, but test it in your circumstance. You can actually bring in something on gobo two without the audience really seeing it. It's a pretty subtle change. You know, again, you mess with the, the focus areas and you can find how this works. And you can bring in that second gobo, then you can change the focus from the focus where it was focusing on wheel one to focusing on the second wheel. And all of a sudden, it literally changes that gobo. Now, that's called gobo morphing. And you lose a little light output while you're doing it. But you can always, once you get to gobo two, you can go ahead and you can then um, pull out gobo one and make it open and, and you'll get all your light back again that, that you lost. Um, or... You can leave them both in there and you could do a cool chase later or something like that on the focus to switch between those two gobos. And so that's what I got guys about, you know, kind of an intro to programming moving lights. This isn't an end all be all by any means. Um, actually, a really good book to uh, reference is uh, by uh, Richard Kadena, I believe. Um, yeah, Automated Lighting, the Art and Science of Moving and Color Changing Lights is a really classic, a really great book that really goes into deep detail about um, how you can program moving lights and um, how you're able to, you know, really make it work well for your show. So that's that's a highly recommended book there. Um, or, you know, check out, I've got a post on Learn Stage Lighting about different positions. And of course, inside of Learn Stage Lighting Labs, we've got more resources that, that teach you how to apply, you know, using moving lights to band lighting or to church lighting or et cetera. Um, and so that is a great option as well. And so, yeah, with that, guys, um, let's dive into our mailbag. I hope you guys have learned something today about programming moving lights, whether you work with moving lights now or that's going to be something that's in the future for you. But as always, you know, let me know if you've got feedback for me. Um, do share that with me in the reviews. Just go to learnstagelighting.com slash iTunes. And uh, from there, you can go and go to iTunes or Stitcher and uh, go to the review box, okay? And in that review box, let me know what you've learned or or some feedback that you have around the show. And then, of course, give a star rating. And I hope I've earned five stars from you today. And I always do share reviews on the show as well. Whenever they come in, I love to share those, um, highlight what you guys are doing as well. With that, guys, let's dive into our mailbag. All right, welcome into the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast mailbag. This is the part of the show, if you guys aren't familiar, most of you probably are, but this is the part of the show where 
I open up questions that I just briefly read before getting on here. I copied and pasted them into my show notes. And now you'll get to hear me talk through exactly what I'm uh, thinking about as I answer these to give you feedback. All right. So um, these questions come from learnstagelighting.com slash contact. And last but not least, if you are looking for more personalized instruction, step-by-step tutorials and uh, feedback in depth from me, we do offer that within Learn Stage Lighting Labs, which is a, a monthly, quarterly, or yearly membership where you're able to pay a little bit of money and uh, be able to get access to a whole library of videos on uh, different consoles, different ways of doing lighting, um, technical and artistic stuff, how to run shows, all kinds of stuff. There's a whole ton of video tutorials in there organized into action plans, which uh, help you to be able to really take what you learn and, and take action with it. And then there's the forums, like I mentioned, where myself and uh, other folks come in, answer your questions, and help you personalize what you're learning to your exact lighting. Now, Steve writes in, and he said, for someone wanting to be a lighting tech, what do you think is the best way to get into the industry? Should I start as a stagehand and ask as many questions as possible? Um, do I have any videos on how to make a lighting plan? What program uh, do you think knowing how to program would make you more in demand, Grant and Mayor Hawk? Um, do I have any videos on that? Okay, Steve. So I'm going to answer uh, a lot of your questions here, but and just know I don't have a ton of resources specifically for you. And the reason why I don't on my site and on my, my uh, you know, and in my videos is simply because when I started learning stage lighting and this thing really started to grow, I saw that the bigger need um, in this industry was not necessarily for um, professionals to learn more about lighting. There's there's people that are teaching that. There's folks like Richard Cadena at the uh, Academy of Production uh, Training, I believe it's called. I'll link to it in the show notes that that teach you know a lot of the technicals about lighting. Manufacturers have courses on consoles. Um, you know, a lot of people have made videos for Grand and Hog, and so I went and I said, okay. You know, the entry level, you know, people looking to do lighting in a non-professional manner is something that there really isn't addressed on the web. And so for the most part, I, um, for the most part, you know, I don't address as a career, but I want to tell you here because, you know, I want to answer your question because, hey, you know, I've done lighting as a career for the past 10 or so years. And until really last year, you know, I was doing it pretty much full time. Now this website has taken up a good bit of my time, but I still light a good bit of shows. I light at least one show a month, usually more. Um, but you know, that's kind of where I'm at. So as a lighting designer, um, and I've also been a lighting tech in L2, stuff like that. So anyways, a lot of caveats there, Steve, but yes, what I would do and what most people do in this business to get to move up the ladder per se is to start at the lowest level. Start as the stagehand where you start, you know, as some people call it as the 10th box pusher, you know, the bottom of the barrel, you know, you push things on and off the truck. And, you know, don't be uh, a pest with asking questions, but just more than just asking as many questions as possible is, you know, just paying attention and showing initiative, okay? Because it's not about always necessarily, and I'm sure you didn't mean it this way, Steve, but I've, I've, I've run into people like this, so I'm just going to address it here. It's not about asking questions all the time and trying to milk the most out of everybody by asking questions, but it's just saying every day when you go in to be as a stagehand, even if you want to be a lighting tech and you end up on the audio crew that day or on the video crew because that's what's needed, 
you go in there and you pay attention and you help, you know, you, you learn first how to be helpful because when you begin as a stagehand, you know, the first few weeks of work as a stagehand, you really need to focus on, and maybe the first few months even, on just learning kind of the industry standard ways, how things get done, how they tell you to do things and what they want done. And then once you've kind of mastered that and you become really good at what you do, just show initiative. That's the biggest thing that techs are looking for. And then as you grow, here's what I would do, Steve. I don't know where you are, um, but I'm, I think you're in the U.S. somewhere. And so in your local area, I would start talking to production companies and you'll meet these people. You'll meet the lighting guys from the local production companies when you're out doing shows as a stagehand, okay? And start talking to them and start, you know, when you're not working as a stagehand, call them up and, and stop by their office just to say hi and just mention like, hey, I'm a stagehand, but I want to get more into lighting. And they may, there's two things they may have that they may be able to offer you that'll really help you out. The first is that one, you're going to be able to see what console they use because ultimately um, to be a lighting designer, you could be a Grand MA or a hog guy. I would recommend eventually learning both. But to be the most in demand, it, it really depends on your local industry. You know, some markets really are very hog heavy. Some are really MA heavy. And so getting in with those production companies, you know, visiting them, talking to them, seeing what they need, um, is going to allow you to see what consoles they have and use. And then that's the one you want to learn. So find some target production companies in your local area that you'd like to work for. Start talking to them. Find out what consoles they use and start learning that software. Then at the same time, as you're doing stagehand work and talking to them, ask if you can work in their warehouse. Can you help prep and de-prep shows? Can you help with stuff like that? Because what I found and what worked well for me and I know has worked well for other people is when you put yourself out there and you start to work for production companies in that fashion, there's going to be a day where you've learned a good bit. You might not know everything where somebody calls in sick, some lighting tech cancels, a last minute job comes in and they don't have a, an extra lighting tech and they need another guy. And you're going to be there. You're going to have been willing and shown initiative over time. And they're going to say, Steve is the guy. Let's take Steve out on the show. Then you do a good job. And then they say, hey, Steve, we want to start taking you out on more of these kind of smaller shows. You do that for a while. Then you show initiative. You work hard. You do a great job. You be nice to clients. And then after a while, they say, hey, Steve, we want to start sending you out to lead, you know, to lead these small shows to help on the bigger shows. And, and that's how you grow. And that's how you become a full-time lighting tech, usually in this business. You know, there's other ways to do it, but most people that I've met, most people I've worked with, that's how they climb the ladder, just like that, just by going to the production companies, asking how they can help, offering to work for probably a low amount of money in the warehouse so that you're there and available when things come up and they need somebody and then they have your name. And then when they say, hey, we want you to, you know, can you do X? You say yes. You know, you might have something you were planning to do that night and you say, I'm good. I'm going. I'm, I'm, I'm available, guys. You know, and, and that's how you get in. And so, you know, check, you know, MA and HOG are both in the U.S. and abroad, really power, really popular platforms. And they're both good. And I know them both. And I'd recommend learning them both over time. But to start, you know, just uh, go ahead and um, find 
you know, what the local company's using. And then one more thing, actually, I'll, I'll link to some videos in the show notes about MA and HOG and uh, how to use them. But, but one more thing, Steve, is just, um, you know, one thing you may be able to do with the production company too, once you get in and you're working for one, maybe working in the warehouse doing some small shows, is then you can say, and, and this is something that was offered to me and, and was really valuable, and they might say to you or you might say to them, hey, I want to learn this console better. You know, on this slow week in the middle of January, July, whenever their slow time is, depending on what exact market they're in, can I come into the warehouse, you know, not get paid, but during the slow time, come in and work on a console and learn it. And and they'll put you in a corner and, you know, help you set up, you know, a console with, you know, maybe a couple moving lights or some LEDs or something. And then you can sit there all day long and use that console, okay? And that's the kind of thing that once you get in with a production company, you know, you can do, and they're glad to help you because they want good people. And that's like, that's value that you can't get anywhere else, right? Because you could rent that console, but it's going to be like, you know, maybe two, $300 a day to, to rent a good console. And, you know, then you've got to get some fixtures and you're talking, you know, $1,000 a day or something, you know, cables. Or, you could do it on your own time after showing an issue, after getting in with them. Say, hey, can I learn this? Because I want to be able to serve you better. I want to be able to be a better lighting person. And, and then you can learn those consoles that way. So that's a lot of information, Steve, but I think that should help you. That's how I got broke into this industry. That's how a lot of people I've known have, have broken into this industry. And, you know, ultimately, above any level of technical knowledge in this business is attitude. Attitude really matters almost more than anything else for real, because you can teach almost anything else. But if somebody doesn't have a good attitude, then they're not going to be easy or fun or someone you want to work with. So attitude matters. All right. Hugo says, um, first of all, thank you for the help. Um, he's starting in Martin MPC. It's now owned by Alation, by the way, and it's going to be renamed soon. Um, so just keep that in mind, Hugo. But all of your colors are full as soon as you start the program. Okay. How you don't know what to do. Can you help me, please? Most likely, Hugo, you're, um, what you're doing is you've got some LED fixtures, and when you bring them up at full, it automatically brings all the colors to full. And that's kind of a stylistic thing, okay? That's how they've chosen to write things in that console. And for the most part, I agree with it just because I'm a little bit old school. And when I learned lighting, when you hit at full in the console, the light always came to full because it was the dimmer function. Now, an LED doesn't really have a dimmer function because it's just additive color mixing instead of subtractive, which didn't exist when I started. And so what you need to do, Hugo, is this is really simple. You just need to redefine the default preset for those fixtures. That's the console's way of saying when I dump everything out, when I first launch the console, whenever, this is where I want these fixtures to sit DMX value-wise. So I'm going to link to a video, uh, one of Martin's videos, um, now Alation, that I made for them that shows you exactly how to do that. It's really as simple as just redefining that default preset and then you should be good to go. Hugo. Mike writes in and says, I have purchased the Chave DMX AM. Do I still need to buy the Express 512 dongle to run Show Express? Um, if so, why did you purchase the DMX AM? You were watching the product video on the AM and they said it was compatible with Show Express. You ended up using LightKey, but you have to renew the license and you don't want to do that because it gets expensive. So 
did you waste money buying the DMXAN instead of the 512 dongle? Um, is there different software, etc.? So, yeah, Mike, you're, you're on the right track here. So what you've bought here is you've bought a node, a ARTNET or an SACN to DMX a node, and, and you've got it working, so you probably understand the basic knowledge there. But what it doesn't do in any lighting software is it doesn't unlock output. And so every software, every manufacturer is going to have uh, different ways to pay for the software development because this software development stuff is expensive, right? And so Chavez does it for Show Express with by selling the Express 512. You have to buy that to unlock the output. Then once you buy that, I think you can add on the DMXAN to get more DMX universes out because they're already unlocked by the Express 512. But you have to pay them something uh, to get that unlocked. And so, yeah, if you want to do Show Express, I would return that DMXAN if you can. Talk to your dealer, whoever you bought it from. Explain that you were, you know, kind of misled by the video and, and you want to see if you can return it. If you can't return it, you know, try to sell it and then buy the Express 512 if you want to do Show Express. If you want to do something else, um, you know, I'm going to link to a, sh a, a, uh, a post on finding your first lighting console. Actually, I'm going to um, link to a post on lighting consoles for Mac because it looks like you're a Mac user since you use the light key. And so it's got some different options there of some different consoles that actually run on a Mac and, and tells you about how much they cost or if there's free versions, etc. And so off the top of my head, you know, you can get into something like Camsys, which you can use with um, Artnet or SACN. You can get output for free, but it's a lot more complex than the other consoles you've looked at. And I, I'm kind of worried it'd be frustrating to you just because you're newer to this. And so I don't want to recommend that to you. But I would look at something like um, Ntex D Pro or even DMXs um, and, and go to that post and read through it because I don't have a lot of information about your specific lighting needs, but just read through that post and um, let me know, you know, or it, it should kind of give you a better steering, a better understanding of, of kind of what console you should try out or use on your Mac. All right. Now, the last question today is uh, Bayou, I believe it's spelled, and Elaine have written in both these guys. Um, They wrote in separately, but they asked pretty much the same thing. And they said they're, they're church people and they need to know what console should I go with or what lighting software. Um, the One of them says they're small church. The other doesn't give me information. And I don't have a ton of information on either of them. So I'm going to walk you through how I figure this out, guys, so that you can figure it out for yourself. The first thing is that on Learn Stage Lighting, I do have a post about finding um, the right lighting console for your church, okay? So I want to send that to you guys as well. It'll be in the show notes. But ultimately, um, the thought is that I want to go ahead, you want to go ahead and kind of think about a few different things, okay? You want to think about um, what software fits your needs first, okay? So can it control the amount of lights and the type of lights that you have? Second, you want to think about, is it complicated? Is it confusing? Is it hard to use? Or is it at the level of yourself and your volunteers? Then you want to think about, okay, how easy is it going to be for you to program something into it that's easy for volunteers to play back? 
And then last, you really want to think about price. And I put that absolutely last because there's a lot of lighting console options out there. And I don't ever want you, especially in the church world where people can get cheap sometimes. Um, and so I don't want you to, um, to go totally on price because you could X out something. You could cross out a lighting console that's $400 and buy something that's, you know, 150 or $200 instead, but then the $200 one isn't right for you and it's frustrating. Well, you know, a year or two down the road, you would have rather spent that $400 because, you know, two, three, four years down the road, when you break that down monthly, that's not a ton of money. You know, you've bought one less LED par, but it's way easier to program. You know, I'd recommend that every day long. And so, you know, one of the things that I do talk about, um, you can check out my course, The Foundations of Church Lighting as well. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, but one thing you, you do want to think about just is how do you play it back for volunteers? And so in The Foundations, again, if you're looking to go deeper on this um, than just the free posts, I, I go into detail about showing you how you can program things for volunteers so that it's easy for them to play back. I go through three or four different ways uh, to using the whole service method, the songs, the colors, or punting, so that you're able to program something that both saves you time, as you're probably the lead person who's going to be programming this thing, and also makes it easy for the volunteers to, to play it back, to make it consistent from week to week, and to make the lighting interesting. Um, all, all of that together, um, the methods that I have found best to do that. So I know this is a lot of information, guys, but I hope this helps you. I'll link to the posts and resources that I've mentioned uh, answering this question already in the show notes. Awesome. Now, guys, thank you all for listening today. It was really fun to talk about moving lights and also to answer your questions here in the mailbag segment, which of course was at learnstagelighting.com slash contact if you want to ask a question yourself. Now, in closing, if you are new here, don't forget to go to learnstagelighting.com slash quiz and then also make sure you're subscribed here on whatever podcatcher, whatever podcast app you use, whether you're iPhone, Android, on a computer. There's lots of options. You can check those all out at learnstagelighting.com at the show notes, which are learnstagelighting.com slash 027 because this is episode 27. Let me check. Yep, that's right. All right. And uh, next week, I'm really excited, really pumped that uh, for people that subscribe, you'll get automatically delivered the podcast for next week, which is called, What Should I Program on the Faders and Buttons of My Lighting Console? So again, we're going to take a really broad, a really wide view and talk about, um, you know, what to program how do you know what to put on faders? How do you know what to put on buttons? What do you do when you only have a few faders and a few buttons? What do you do when you have a lot of things at your disposal? So I want to share all that with you on the podcast next week. Until then, guys, I'll see you around. Have a great week. And that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. Be sure to visit us at LearnStageLighting.com to see show notes, past episodes, and download a free guide on how to begin with lighting in your specific context. I'll see you guys on the site. Thanks.